0: Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm education editor, Helen MacDonald, and today we're talking about adherence to medication. Around half of patients who appear to have resistant hypertension don't take their medication as prescribed. Injunil Dasgupta is a consultant nephrologist at the Heart of England NHS Foundation Trust and author of a practice article on the BMJ.com, which sets out how to discuss non-adherence with patients and earlier, I got some of his tips on having that conversation. You start off with a really typical sounding scenario of a patient, and I can imagine myself seeing somebody like this. So you, you, you set the scene for us by saying um, a 56-year-old man's come to see his doctor, and he's had hypertension for about three years now, which was diagnosed after ambulatory monitoring. And it's you have this sense that his blood pressure has never been that well controlled and his readings have never been that good. He's been prescribed three different antihypertensive drugs. And at this visit, which is scheduled to talk about his blood pressure, he he just sort of says, you know what, don't bother prescribing anymore because actually I just don't take them. Um, And you start off with such a a strong introduction to say that actually this is a position for about half of people. So half of people in this kind of position with apparent resistant hypertension um, aren't taking their medicine.
1: No, that is correct. Uh, That is correct. Although um, most people wouldn't offer uh, that, wouldn't say, wouldn't admit uh, themselves that they um, uh, don't take their tablets uh, even after, you know them a
0: lot. That's a really good point because in this scenario it's quite easy isn't it because he's, it he's told you that this yes. is a problem so if you were yes. just sitting there and he hadn't told you that, you were just doing this hypertensive check and you're looking at this guy on three drugs with really poor control, how would you even start to broach this sensitively or in a sort of constructive way that is not going to feel too judgmental to the patient to explore the possibility that they might not be taking their medication?
1: Well, anyone who is on three or more drugs at optimum doses, I think we should we should suspect that they might not be taking their uh, medications as, as advised. Um, the way to do it, I mean, I have been trying to figure out what's the best way for a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, more often than not, uh, what I do is I ask them if there's any way of improving their blood pressure control. Can they think of anything? Because I'm ca I've, I've run out of ideas, and say, can you think of anything that might make your blood pressure control better? And some of them, I would say, would uh, then come up and say, yeah, I do forget to take my tablets from time to time. Um, uh, and then, uh, if that is uh, no good, that doesn't bring out the answer. I often say, um, uh, um, "Are you sure you've been taking your tablets regularly the last few days? Because your blood pressure is still very high." Um, and then, of course, we have slightly more success. And um, you know, those who want to admit and then say, "Yes, I, I, have, I have run out of uh, my tablets," which is uh, not uncommon, especially with young people. Uh, who are you know active and have uh, uh, are in full-time employment? We've just done a survey of uh, the members of British Hypertension Society, which is now going to be called British and Irish Hypertension Society, um, and um, we're quite surprised to find that 80% of our colleagues think that between 25 to 50% of their patients. Um, don't take their tablets that's their impression of course they you know they have a slightly skewed view in the sense they um, on their hypertension specialists so they see uh, patient referred from general practice
0: mm.
1: uh, so we don't know what it is likely to be in the in, mm. in general practice
0: and in the paper you have this fantastically helpful incredibly comprehensive table that lists a huge number of things. Yes. Factors linked with non-adherence and some of yes. it is, is pretty unalterable or, or kind of yes. demographic factors. True. So if you were to kind of conjure up into a clinician's mind, who is your, you know, what sort of factors are associated with not taking um, your medication? Um, what type of person are you looking out for?
1: It's quite difficult to describe a typical patient uh, in a t- typical person From our experience, it's young men who have a very active life and hold down a full-time job, Um, we find quite often are non-adherent. Now, whether that's because they're too busy to uh, remember to take their tablets or because they're too busy to be able to go and get a prescription from the doctor, um, it's not easy to... um, Mm. Uh, not easy to tell, um, but since we um, developed this urine test, which we have referred to in the in the article briefly um, about a year ago, which we developed uh, locally at in in our hospital uh, labs, um, an easy urine test which takes only seconds to um, to to um, do a uh, an assay of all the antihypertol most commonly used twenty three different commonly used antihypertensive drugs we actually are very surprised to see you know the different uh, types of patients that there's some that we never suspected uh, wouldn't take their tablets for example i can think of is a lawyer who's on four different blood pressure medication i was quite confident that he took all his tablets and his blood pressure was truly difficult to control or resistant to hypertension But when he tested his urine, to our surprise, um, of the four drugs, one of which was a diuretic, we could only find the diuretic in the urine and not the other three uh, agents. So when I confronted the patient and I asked the patient um, um, whether um, he takes all his tablets as prescribed, he said to me, yes, I do uh, accept the diuretic because um, it it can be a bit inconvenient. Um, So I only take it uh, over the weekends uh, when I'm not... um, I'm not going to work um and um, so that was a big surprise. It's only the diuretic that was present in the urine and not the other agents in her in a urine so this is just to illustrate that it is um quite difficult to tell by looking at a patient or even if you've known a patient for a long time to be con to to say that um they take that tablet, or so they don't take that tablet. It's it's, it's quite difficult, and, and hence there's a need for it for an easy, um, uh, you know, test uh, that can um, that can pick up.
0: And um, interesting to see that even when you've asked um, quite direct questions about yes, whether yes. someone's taking um, their tablets, that those you're finding in your research that those answers actually mismatch with what you find. Exactly. Um, in in people's urine. So this table that you've got, um, it's adapted from the WHO report on adherence to long-term therapies. And although maybe history is only gonna take us so far here, it does seem to me that there are some themes you could pick out as a clinician, um, some areas which you could probe patients on and ask them um, some questions. And maybe it's worth mentioning a a few of those areas. You've divided it up. Um, So one thing um, is about the treatment itself. So people are less likely to be adherent uh, to their medication if the treatment regime is... Complex if it goes on yeah. for a long time. Um, if they're not getting on with the drug, so what? What kind of questions do you ask in your in your practice um, to explore those sorts of issues?
1: Are you how are you getting on with your tablet? That's a very open-ended mm-hmm. question, and um, you know sometimes they would come up with us and say, yes, well, the beta blocker makes my legs feel a bit weak. Or um, uh, in men, as you know, erectile dysfunction is quite often a problem. So they they, they often say that they're having difficulty coping with um, some admit that they've stopped taking it because it's you know the diuretic is making me go to toilets so frequently that I, I I've stopped taking it. they wouldn't say it so you know quite often you know and the other thing that uh, we have we have um, found from our drug te- urine drug testing is that the more number of drugs they're on um, less likely they are to take all their tablets. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, in a non-adherence, either complete or partial correlates with the number of drugs they're prescribed.
0: Mm. One of the very interesting things I found about your article was really discussing, in absolute terms, how much your blood pressure might be reduced by doing various things. And and one of those things is taking drugs. But there are also a number of lifestyle modifications which your patient might choose to make. Either instead of or in addition to taking um, medicine, talk us through some of those.
1: Yes, well, uh, one of the things again I have realised over the years that quite often it works better if if we start from the position that uh, is there anything you can do to help yourself, your blood pressure, and is there anything you can do? You think in your in your lifestyle, in your diet, in your um, daily life. And I have to say, quite often, um, and I've been doing this more and more of late in the last few years. Um, you know, some of the patients, many of them, most of them, have insight and then, then say, "Yes, I do take uh, extra salt uh, in my food, or I eat prepared food from supermarket things that they know have high salt and high fat." And uh, and then I also say, "Is any way you could uh, be more active, do more exercise?" Uh, is there anything that you enjoy? That that's something that helps them. Mm-hmm.
0: And really interesting to see the reduction um, in blood pressure yes. with some of those um, yes. interventions. And it seems, as a sort of headline figure, when you look at those lifestyle changes, each of those seems roughly to cause about a f- a five.
1: Minute um, mean, smartly.
0: Drop. Uh, drop. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and the kind of drops that you expect to see in blood pressure with the addition of medication, just looking through your paper here, you, are, are larger than you might see with the lifestyle changes. Um, so you're yes. you're looking at more like sort of in excess of a of a ten millimeter of mercury drop in your yes. systolic pressure, and and perhaps four or five yes. um, in your diastolic with yes. taking one medication.
1: Yes, yeah, but that's a good thing to show to patients, but. But what we do, we start with one tablet and add. So titrate um, mm-hmm. uh, rather than start. You know, just because someone's blood pressure is 180 over 110, we don't start them on three tablets. We'd start with one. The other thing is uh, to remember is the response is quite variable. Some people respond dramatically even mm-hmm. a small dose of an antihypertensive, and it's there's no way of way of uh, predicting that. Hence we have to uh we always do start with the smallest dose of one antihypertensive and titrate up. Yes. Um the other thing to um to remember is that uh, the clinic blood pressure or the blood pressure office blood pressure taken at the doc at the surgery um are not very reliable. Um and that we know um um know for sure now. 50% of people that are on treatment have white coat hypertension. So these are not white coat hypertensives. These are people that are on treatment, yet they have um, super added, for want of a better uh, description, super added uh, white coat effect.
0: Okay. So for for the for example, for the gentleman in this scenario, we know he was diagnosed in an appropriate way because he had ambulatory monitoring yes. to prove yes. that he really, did hypo- yes. he really did have hypertension yes. but you're saying that there's a proportion of those people nonetheless who have hypertension that they will still have, have an element of,
1: of white coat effect.
0: I see, I see.
1: And and so uh, so that is something to take into consideration because quite often what we do is we see what the difference between an ABPM and blood pressure um, daytime mean and what the clinic blood pressure is, and try to take that into account when you assess on the basis of their clinic blood pressure whether blood pressure is controlled or not.
0: That's really helpful to know. And do you ever um, use home monitoring with your yes. patients? Yes, I
1: was coming to that next. Mm. Yes, we do. we do. That more and more now that um, it's not that expensive to buy a blood pressure monitor. A lot of patients um, believe, and I say it's a good investment, you know, for your future health. Yes. Uh, and, and I often say, you know, the blood pressure readings that we see here or uh, your doctor sees in the, in the in the surgery are not reliable. And it's, it's very important that you look after your own blood pressure. You take your blood pressure readings and, and take the reading and, and write them down and, and take the readings with you when you go to see your doctor. Otherwise, there's a risk that we will keep adding. More and more tablets. so in
0: ter- the patients are having more more autonomy in terms of how they they might monitor um, blood pressure which has been poorly yeah. controlled the final aspect of this piece that you come on to is goal setting um, and and negotiating with someone who might be having difficulty taking their medication mm-hmm. what a realistic goal is so talk us through how you tend to do that is it about setting a threshold that you want to aim for or do you tend to do it more around um, you know what what their goals are in terms of achieving adherence how do you set set up that conversation
1: well the way we do it after we have seen a patient for a few times and we have developed some sort of a rapport we can we didn't say, you know, uh, we, you're trying your best, um, you know, with, with uh, lifestyle changes and your medication, and we can see your blood pressure, we can bring it down to a certain level, but not below. And there are patients that, that refuse to take more tablets. They say, well, we're on three, we don't want another one adding, you know. And I say, well, in that case, you may need to tighten on your lifestyle. And do more exercise, and you know, cut down salt completely, and see how um, how you get on. And uh, and the, what I say often is that yes, your blood pressure is in the 150s, which is which is good, which is much better than before. But it'd be good to have it uh, to the 140s. You know, that we are I would be happier with with uh, your blood pressure um, uh, reading uh, in 140s. Um, and uh, I think they take it quite well, and they say, well, well, we'll try, doctor. Um, the problem is, unless you can uh, get them to agree to uh, to, um, uh, to, to to doing uh, something, you know, or taking their tablets and, and aiming to get their own blood pressure re- readings down, it's very hard. Um, just by prescribing tablets and saying, "Oh, go and take them," um, uh, it doesn't work.
0: Absolutely. You've been listening to Indranil Dasgupta talk about his article. Adherence to Antihypertensive Drugs, which is now available on thebmj.com. The link is in the text of wherever you got this. And if you like this podcast, you can find more on our SoundCloud page or in iTunes. Just search for The BMJ.